We at LaRouge Rugby would like to send our condolences to the family and friends of Paul Myers. Paul served as a player, coach, administrator, and mentor. He was fiercely dedicated to growing the inclusivity of rugby at all levels and worked with Turf, Balmy Beach, and Rugby Ontario. He shall be missed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Rouge Rugby Podcast. And to all our Canadian listeners, hope you had a wonderful Victoria Day weekend. I'm Stu Hardy, joined, as always, by Derek Brissett. Derek, you know, the weekend started early for us Arrows fans on the Thursday night, but uh, what have you been up to for your Victoria Day weekend? Yeah, no, I had a, I had a great long weekend. I uh, took advantage of the Thursday night Arrows game. Uh so yeah, Thursday night, watched the Arrows um, destroy the New England Free Jacks. It was beautiful, brought a tear to my eye, and then, uh, you know, really enjoyed that. Um, Friday, and then, yeah, so after that, I guess, um, my girlfriend's dad was running the Cleveland Marathon, so we drove down to Cleveland uh, to support him doing that. Checked out the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which was a lot of fun. Um, we was going to go to a baseball game. Before remembering that unlike Toronto, a lot of baseball stadiums don't have roofs on them. And, <laughs> you know, so that was uh, the, my first time experiencing a rain delay in my, you know, whatever, 20 odd years of being a baseball fan. So that was that was a new experience there. Um, ended up just doing a bunch of bar hopping and stuff. Um, spent uh, a lot of, I guess, uh, you know, watched the marathon, did that, drove back home after. Um didn't really, I guess, didn't watch as much rugby as I normally would because of that. I did manage to um, check my phone once on the Saturday night just because I wanted to see what was going on. Opened up my phone. The first thing I saw was that the Jackals and Giltinis were tied at halftime. Thought yeah. that was kind of odd. Um, thought that was kind of odd. Didn't really look into anything else of the game. Just saw the score. Kept scrolling through my phone. Saw everybody complaining about power plays. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, yelling. Yeah, we're just all everyone's just fuming about the power plays. Um, I kept scrolling through the phone, and apparently, England sevens team and Argentina sevens team need to get banned from rugby. Um, so that was the next thing I saw, and at that point, I was just like, and at that point, I was just like, you know what? I'm gonna put down my phone. I'm gonna put down my phone at this point, and uh, and and go back to uh go back to these uh this fine Cleveland pints that I was enjoying. Um, mm -hmm. and then, uh, I got, I eventually got caught up on everything, but yeah, that was my, my rugby viewing was like, I guess on the weekend was seeing like all the, the Quade Cooper hilariousness before leaving for Cleveland, checking my phone, like once while I was there to see everybody in an uproar over a variety of topics. And then essentially, um, and then essentially, uh, decided that, yeah, you know what, maybe, uh, maybe I'll just keep the phone off until I'm back home and, uh. I can get caught up on everything on a, uh, you know, on, on the Monday, take advantage of the holiday Monday. How about yourself? What did you get up to? Uh, so I was watching the Spanish Grand Prix, you know, part of a uh, double header of weekends because uh, the weekend just gone with Spanish Grand Prix. The weekend coming up is the Monaco Grand Prix. That's why I'm wearing 
my Kimi Raikkonen cap tonight. And, you know, so that was like early in the day, then, you know, keeping up to date with all the rugby going on. And, you know, I was confused as well when it said uh, Dallas 7, LA 7 at halftime. I was like, am I in the same universe still? Have I traveled to another dimension where LA and Dallas are on the same page? But, you know, credit where it's due. That was a, a very close half. The second half, not so much, but, you know... Yeah, you got to start somewhere, and that was impressive. Um, yeah, you know, I saw the um, criticisms come from, like, England 7 and Argentina 7, you know, bringing the game into disrepute, um, a lot of accusations being thrown around, although I will pick up on uh, what Brock Webster tweeted out, is that there will always be excuses that can be used and could have and should have. At the end of the day, we weren't good enough. And, you know, as in... You can be upset about what uh, Argentina did and what England did, but at the end of the day, Brock says like the responsibility was on them. They should have, you know, put up a better score against England. They could have, therefore, avoided all of this if that was a circumstance. But it is what it is. You pick themselves up, they move on. They don't really have the time to like sit and rest on this. Obviously, you got the London Sevens coming up this weekend, so you know Brock and the team eyes forward. And eyes on the prize. But we've been talking about uh, Friday, Saturday. On, I do have a question, though. Okay. What were people more angry at? Power plays or England slash Argentina? Well, I, it's I feel England. like we can talk about England, Argentina when we get to the sevens chat. Yeah. We'll put our feelings on it. How'd, how'd you feel about the power plays? Because that seemed like everybody was. I, I think the power play, the power play rubbed a lot of people the wrong way because instead of. Um, the commentators saying that, oh, a player going to the sin bin is like a power play in hockey. Mm -hmm. But instead of two minutes, it's 10 minutes. They were trying to equate it as the same thing. And then there just came a load of like errors coming up. So in the um, New York Atlanta game, um, Atlanta scored a try whilst uh, New York had a player in the bin. And then they had to explain like, oh, but now they've scored a try. And in hockey, that means yeah. that they would come back on. But in rugby, they don't. And I'm like, cool. Then it's not a power play. Yeah. The thing. So, yeah. I think the, the thing that really surprised me the most after seeing the reaction on Twitter, because I was like, I have to go look at this now, yeah. um, was like, I was shocked that they used it as an actual graphic. Like the scoreboard, yeah. the scoreboard bugs said like, it said power play on it. And they were like, it sounded like when I was listening to it, I guess it sounded like the commentators were saying that they're kind of being the vibe I got from it was they were kind of being instructed to say it. And I'm yeah, like, I, I, don't I think, think it's something that's come from like MLR towers yeah, down like, in Dallas. See, I agree with you completely. I, in the sense that I love, I I'm all on, on board for the idea of like, if you have to use terms from other sports to help explain the game, yeah, oh, absolutely. Cool. I get that. Say, like, exactly. If you want to say like a, a yellow card means that um, a player has to go to the bin, sits in the bin for 10 minutes, his team has to play a man down and it's like a penalty or like, sorry, and it's like a power play in hockey. Great. That helps explain it. You can add on the, with the exception of the fact that if the team, the other team scores, he doesn't get to come back on. He has to serve the whole 10 minutes. Um, cause I mean, like, to be honest, like I've done that trying to explain rugby to like my friends, I've used terms from other sports. Like, um, I remember like watching a game with a friend when the ref called for advantage and they, their first reaction was like, why is the ref saying advantage? And I was like, ah, it's basically like a delayed penalty. 
in hockey. And yeah. Like I was like, yeah. And it's like, they, he, they got the, the, the analogy, right. To help. Yeah. Them they got the gist of what was yeah. going on. But I was like, but the next time it came up during the game to try to explain it, I didn't start saying they, Oh, this team has a delayed penalty. I kept using the word advantage. I just yeah. took the time to explain what the word advantage means. And then kept using the rugby terminology. Um, so I think that like, that's one of those things where it's like, you kind of look at like, okay, like MLR, like we, we do as a league need to attract new fans, yeah. and stuff, but need to attract new fans. So it's like, if you want the commentators to use analogies from other sports, no matter what that analogy is, if it, the analogy is a power play, that's cool, but you can't cross it and make it sound like it's an official term. Cause then that kind of gets confusing and stuff, I think. And yeah. then also, as you clearly do, it's like, you can't alienate the diehard and the traditional fans at the expense of hoping you create new fans. Yeah. Right. And I mean, no, it's, uh, yeah, it, yeah, it seems to have been a bit of a mess, a bit of an issue with the uh, commentator using it, but even still as this is, it's something that you can find, especially as like a diehard fan kind of insulting because you have this scenario of, oh, you want to use this new terminology um, from other sports to attract fans. And yes, we get that. We understand that. But when you use it and it, as a result, it's used incorrectly. So if you say, oh, it's a power play, New York, they have, um, they've got a man in the sin bin for 20 minutes because it's a red card. So this is how they're going to play. And if you're a hockey fan and you've seen rugby for the first time and this is the first experience you have of it, you're like, oh, so if... Atlanta score, <laughs> then New York can get their man out of the sim bin. It's like, no, no, it's not like yeah, that. It's like they have to do it for more. 20 minutes. And because so then you're just confusing them because you'll say, oh, it's the power play. Yeah, but they've just scored. It's like, oh, yeah, but they kind of have okay, so it's not a power play, but it is a power play. And that's you just, I, and I feel as well is that by not using rugby terminology, so if you want to have your um, these new MLR fans end up watching, you know, like the Eagles game, because, you know, the World Cup qualifiers are coming up. They'll be like, hey, I know that guy. He played for New York or so on and so forth. And then they don't use the same terminology. You're just going to push the confusion down yeah. to another point rather than addressing what it is. To be fair, the sport of hockey has been misusing the term scrum for decades. Yeah. So... <laughs> I feel like this might maybe this, this is revenge way of getting back at hockey. It's like you know they misuse the word scrum all the time, so maybe it's our turn to misuse the term power play. Um, maybe that's kind of a fun thing from it. I don't know. Um, you know what? Like at the end of the day, it's like I think I think the MLR does need to do things to try to figure out um, to help market, to help uh, grow the fan base, and also to be an entertaining product for the traditional fans, the people that already love rugby, and. Um, this is one of those things that it's like if they if they don't do this next if they don't call things power plays next week, I don't really I don't I'm not even going to care about this. Be like, hey, you know what? That didn't work. People really didn't like that, and then we move on from life. We move on in life, and um, yeah, we'll, we get uh, on with it. Oh, we... Yeah, exactly. So either way, in the game where uh, you know there was a quite uh, there was a couple power plays in this game too, but uh, Toronto uh, Toronto seemed to do well on both of them. Yeah, so let's go back to the halcyon days of Thursday night. Um, New England coming north of the border for the first time. Uh, Toronto putting out, you know, probably their strongest squad. And then we obviously had a few 
changes because uh, Richardson was a scratch for, just before kickoff. So the toy uh, came in uh, to the starting lineup and um, Voralek came in on the bench as well. And yeah, it didn't start uh, the way you'd like. It uh, started off with a New England penalty and then a try and then another penalty. So it was already New England were up by 11 uh, to Toronto's nil point at that point. Then things started to change because we had the first of the Arrows four tries happening that afternoon, uh, scored by Andrew Quatrin, um, just finding the gap, able to go over, boom. And then you had Malcolm with a conversion, so instantly it's 7-11. Then, uh, New- then I was going to say New England, Toronto, get a penalty and Sam steps up to the boot again, gets it. It's now 10-11. Another penalty is 13-11. Another penalty, it's 16-11 at half time. And, you know, it's going well, obviously, for the Arrows. They're capitalizing on New England's penalties. And uh, those last two penalties actually occurred when uh, Andrew Cochran was sent to the sin bin. So, you know, Toronto, uh, New England had a power play for 10 minutes. During that time, it was uh, actually more uh, Toronto's advantage, just forcing these errors on New England and in return getting the uh, boot up and getting their scores. So no complaint from me. And then, of course, though, the Arrows, they know that for them to secure a a payoff, a playoff place, they need to be in a position of getting the try bonus point as well. So they know that they need to be putting the effort in, getting the results. But uh, then it was the Arrows turn to have a 10-minute power play as <laughs> Sana Rivi was sent to the sin bin. And then from the line out, uh, Giuseppe Toy um, was able to get his hand on the ball. It looked, though, it had been a knock-on by um, Mike Shepard. It was actually knocked on by... Uh, a New England player and Detroit was able to collect, get a seven pointer to extend the arrows lead. And then uh, about 11 minutes later, we had another um, try this time in the corner. This time Mirez's try did count as he did some acrobatics to get over. Um, but then obviously you can, you can never count New England out. And I was saying this to um, James Dealey, who I was watching the game with is like, you can't count out New England for a second because all of a sudden they could turn it right around. And sure enough, um, from the scrum, uh, Quentin Newcomer was able to get over, score a try uh, that uh, Wilson was then able to convert. So New England up to 18. And, you know, it there was like a comfortable margin at this point, but still you didn't want to think about it. There was still like 15 minutes of play left. And then... Get a, another scrum this time in the New England uh, 22, deep in the 22. The advantage comes, um, gets passed out to Matt Hood, who does some acrobatics of his own and gets the try, secures the try bonus point, And then it was just holding off for the end. And when that final uh, knock-on came and you could hear the roar of the crowd, it was, you know, something to behold. And, you know, not the biggest crowd by no means a sellout for the Thursday night but such a great reception the something everyone crowd. wanted the loudest crowd in uh, Toronto that night uh, final score Toronto 33 New England 18 
The 10 match streak comes to end by the hands of the arrows. Okay. So first of all, I'm sorry if I just burst out laughing halfway through your thing, but actually hearing you say the word power play in the middle of a rugby update is <laughs> hilarious to me. Um, yeah. Okay. So hopefully that's going to be the last time we ever actually say that on this podcast. Um, but uh, I appreciate you mixing in that new uh, MLR terminology. We got to get the new fans in, man. That's how we do it. It's funny though. Cause it's like, it's like, not in the con, I guess for some reason, not in the context of actually looking at a game and seeing like when you said that, I was like, that is hilarious. It sounds so wrong. Yeah. Um, yeah. but either way, moving on from moving on from that. Um, funny. So, yeah, obviously, a, a pretty great game overall. Like you said, um, one of the definite things that, um, noticed even sitting up in the press box and stuff was like, yeah, that was really loud. Um, in, in the building there, uh, like that crowd, the crowd was unreal. The crowd really brought it for the Thursday night. Uh, which was which was great to see, right? Um, I think over the course of this season, I've become a big fan of the Thursday Friday night games. They're a lot of fun, man. I think, and uh, you know, I th- I think the league, if you want to look at things that you can do to like be marketing and stuff, stuff, it's like I think the league should genuinely look into like making like Thursday night rugby, Friday night rugby, making like picking like you know, kind of in the same vein as like Sunday night football, Monday night football, or you know, even hockey night in Canada on a Saturday night, right? Like. You know, pick pick one day, one time slot, make it like a marquee matchup. There's no other games that conflict with it. Um, right. And I, I think uh, you know, the league would do well to kind of make that a little bit of a, a marketing initiative. I thought this game was great. And like you said, Stu, the crowd really brought it. Um, beyond that though, like the the game itself, as you mentioned, tough start for the Toronto Arrows. Um, right. But um, you know, it is one of those things. It's like so Quatrin gets that yellow card. Um First of all, did he deserve that yellow card? No. But then again, we're biased, so I don't think it's best to be asking we, us. We are biased. Yeah, <laughs> we, we are. We are. I don't know. I thought it, I thought it was kind of – I thought it would have been a, a – I. it looked like he tried to rap but just didn't quite get it. It's not the worst yellow card I've ever seen, but um, I'm like, I'm. It's it is what it is. Um, But, you know, really good, really good response from the Toronto Arrows, though. Like, you know, there was obviously a lot of – you know, they, they shut down New England for that entire 10 minutes. They controlled most of the play. Um, they, you know, were doing a really good job of working through the phases. And then obviously we're able to draw a pair of penalties during that time, which allowed the arrows to finish six, nothing during that 10 minute stretch. And, you know, when Quatrin came back into the game, um, you know, it obviously that, that 10 minute stretch there really provided the team a boost, right? Like, you know, by the end of it, the arrows were in the lead, um, thanks to Quatrin's try before he went to the bin, and then the the two penalties. Um, but while he was there, so the arrows are now in the lead when Quatrin comes back into the game, and they never the arrows never really look back at all, right? They, uh, you know, putting up twenty eight points um, unanswered before uh, that the New England got their next try. Uh, so, like, it's a it was a great response, and you know, the the tries that were being scored too, like. Later in the game, obviously, like the arrows capitalized on their own opportunities as well. When, um, you know, New England had a player in the bin and on the first play on the first play, basically after that, you know, because that was the uh, the Gaston Mirez got um, uh, like Gaston Mirez got hit up high by uh, Santa Rivi. And, you know, Mirez had to go off for an HIA for a bit. He came back on. I thought Mirez played great overall in this game, but, you know, he came back on. But like the first play from um while Santa Rivi was in the bin Quatrin kind of overthrows the line out 
um, Shepard, you know, Shepard hustles, gets there, kind of just deflects the ball back to the toy who is apparently the king of scoring deflected weird bounce tries in this league. Um, You know, so he scoops that up and, you know, dots down under the post, right? Mirez comes out of the, of the bin. And like, I think we, we have to talk about the last two tries. I think because they were probably two of the, the best or at least most aesthetically pleasing tries that the arrows have scored this year. Um, both yeah. Mirez, both Mirez and Matt Hood getting completely horizontal for their finishes, but also too like what when, when kind of talking to the players and stuff after the game too, it's like one of the things that's really great about seeing that is like how amazing of a job the forwards did at setting the platform for those two tries. Right, yeah. like you have obviously off Mirez, you had the kind of the line out mall and that was done really well. And then, you know, and he's able to score right away because New England's got to, you know, bring in more guys to kind of defend that mall. That wing's a little open. Obviously, he had a lot of work to do. That was quite the uh, that was quite the leap to actually get in there. Good grounding, and then same with Hood. Like Hood's that Hood's tries just that's an unreal scrum. And then Brody's just got the the one pass to Hood, who again completely horizontal. And, uh, you know, kind of funny in his uh, his post-match interview that we have posted on YouTube, uh, kind of sort of, I guess, admits that he wasn't 100% sure he actually got that um, in a little bit of a hilarious way. But um, it doesn't uh, at least it doesn't matter if Hood doesn't think he got it, it just matters if the rep thinks he got it. And that's uh, that's the important thing. Um, so that I thought that was uh, so obviously that's a great try. Great to see, man. Um, the forwards in this game, I thought were outstanding, especially going against like the free jacks who obviously were down a couple guys. But like, um, you know, like I meant I thought like Rumball did an amazing job in the breakdown uh, coming away with some breakdown. So I thought Bailey did a great job in the breakdown, too. Um, Shepard's work rates always there. It's uh, never to be questioned. And then obviously like Ronan Foley was doing very well in that area. And I think over the course of the year, it's like Toronto in this game has been one of the few teams in the league that's kind of been able to, you know, assert that dominance on New England in the breakdown, right? So that was really great to see. And obviously a major factor in their success as, you know, like like we said, it's like after they went down 11 nothing, they, uh, you know, completely like that. It's crazy to think that Andrew Quatrin getting a yellow card ended up kind of being the turning point of the game, but also in a very positive way for the Toronto Arrows. Yeah, as in there have been instances during this season where the Arrows have been a man up and not been able to score points. Mm -hmm. So to now be in a position where you're a man down and you're still able to um, force penalties and ensure points from it, you know, is a huge benefit it's a huge um stress remover i guess for the all the players um mm-hmm. but you know some like absolutely fantastic performances as you said by the forwards as well um i'm pretty sure i saw uh, rumble get to break down steel as well which forced uh, one of the penalties ronan foley again proving that he's you know probably one of the best signings for the arrows um been great Lalani Lalani Faleva um another fantastic run which also unfortunately seemed to gas him for the rest of the game but uh <laughs> you know it's it's things you love to see and, and, and uh and he chip kicked yeah. after that too exactly it's like you know put him in any position put him 
you know, if uh, Sam Malcolm's having an off day, we'll uh, get Flavor in at number 10. I'm sure he'll love that. Yeah. But I, uh, I can't believe he didn't play scrum half earlier this year. I know, man. Well, yeah. Well, it is what it is. As in, that's the thing. I'm sure uh, uh, Jamie McKenzie can now, like, uh, go back into retirement now that Flavor's yeah. there to pick up the slack. Flavor's the next guy up after McKenzie. That's what's going to happen. That's the depth chart right now. Uh, well, I'm not the coach, so I'm not going to make that call. But, uh, you know, I'm just saying the options there. Um, but I do now also, because we've been talking about um, Arrow's players, I also want to talk about, like, the Canadian players, um, especially for, like, the Arrow, um, not the Arrows, they are Free Jacks, because, you know, we've got to mention them. Um, you know, Josh Larson and Jack Reeves um, starting for... New England, obviously Josh Larson, you know, one of the informed locks for Canada. Um, and, you know, Jack Reeves, uh, he is eligible for Canada. And, you know, if he ever wants to make the switch from uh, England, you know, and, you know, England did no favours this weekend. So, you know, I think the only reasonable thing is to uh, <laughs> sign for Canada. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying uh, as well. Um, but, you know, I, uh, Jack Reeves had some, like, great runs um, in him uh, during this game. That was great to see. Um we also had uh, Foster DeWitt, Isaac Olsen, and Ethan Fryer on the bench. Ethan Fryer came off for his first um, MLR game, so congratulations to him as well. Um, and, you know, like um, some great performances, but, you know, some things just weren't clicking. Like, I think um, Dougie Fife had kind of an off game. I didn't really see him with the ball that often, and when he was, he was uh, just being tackled. Um, was it... Uh, John Poland, you know, had great game at scum half, but um, got the first two penalties. And then I think every effort after that was like um, for New England to try and get the uh, a try to get back themselves back into the game. And as a result, there wasn't that many more kicks to the post, which, you know, obviously came back to haunt them because uh, the advantage just keep going the arrows way. But uh yeah, it's just got to say that the Arrows were just doing like fine performances. Uh, Bailey, um, having him back in the back row as well. And when um, Quatrin got uh, sent to the sin bin, uh, Wadden then had to come off to be the replacement flayer for Jack McRogers when uh, he came on to fill in for um, Quatrin in the front row. But then obviously Bailey could then move into um, the second row and then it would just be uh, Foley and Rumble in the back line. Um, for I think it was like two or three scrums that happened in that 10 minute period so yeah with the exception of the first uh, 10 to 15 minutes after that everything just seemed to click into place for the arrows everyone was performing their job everyone was in the right position for it as well even when uh, Quatrin went off Bailey was able to move up into lock position whilst because Wadden was the um for substitution for Jack McRogers to come in for the front row. And even with just having uh, Foley and Rumble in the back row, you were still able to have a, you know, decent set piece for the um, few scrums that the Arrows had during that game, um, during that period. Uh, and we've seen it in like games against uh, Nola and against DC that in the final 10, 15 minutes, the Arrows just put their foot off the gas indiscipline creeps in um defense goes out the window and that thursday night it just seemed as though they were in it for like 
the entirety of the game and they were going to say that we've got the bonus point try and we are going to hold on now. We're not going to let anything slip up. Defense was immaculate, especially Hmm. in that final 10 minutes when you needed it to be. You know, it's putting in real good stead for the Fire and Ice Cup that's coming up this weekend. So, And considering how much is on the line in that game, that is probably going to be the uh, game to watch this weekend. Yeah, uh, yeah, we'll get to that in a second because, yeah, quite the standings breakdown. Um, No thanks to New York right now. But if, um, but I, yeah, I agree with you. I think this is probably one of the best games that the Euros have played this year, like just all around. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, like you said, it's like, I think now I'm not like, now it, I do kind of wonder like how much New York was missing Waka. Um, New England. Or did I say New York? Ugh, New York should have used Waka this weekend. I'm going to help. <laughs> um, well, yeah, they could have, man. You'll know, trade uh, Milner Scudder, one of the other All Blacks, for Waka. Maybe that could they could have helped uh, help them this weekend. Um, but either way, um, so I do kind of wonder how much New England was like missing Waka a little bit because this is like, yeah. like yeah, their attack just didn't didn't look very dynamic at all. And anything that they did try, like shout out, um, I mean, shout out to the Toy and to Fuga and like the rest of the back line that you know, matched up very well and, you know, shut down, uh, shut down basically every opportunity that they had. Like you kind of said, it's like, there's not a whole lot of backs to me that really stood out in this game. Harrison Boyle had a couple nice runs um, early on in the game before, you know, as the new England g- gained that early 11, nothing lead. Um, Fife, I thought was really good under the high ball. He did have some carries coming back, but I think a little bit to your point earlier, um, he didn't have like that line breaking dangerous run that he's kind of known for either. Yeah. Um, so I think like the arrows, especially like, you know, Mirez hood um, and Sheridan, especially when like, you know, Brody would, you know, box kicker if Malcolm would kick further down the field. And like Fife was the guy that was going to be receiving that ball. Um, they did a really good job of kind of uh, bringing up the kick chase really well and sort of shutting down anything that he did. And there was always support that was there. Uh, and then, like you said, like I said earlier, it's like the, the defense and the breakdown was really good. Um, but yeah, there just, there really wasn't a whole lot of holes. And I mean, you kind of go back to, to last week when they, they put up a, a shutout on the jackals and it's like, it's like the defense has been playing incredibly well the past couple of weeks. Um, they've, they've been, uh, they've been locking it down. I mean, you kept one of the best teams in the league to just two tries, both of them coming from uh from the front row players, uh the hooker and then the reserve hooker. Um, so it's uh you know, it was it was a really strong it was a really strong game overall. Like I, I think yeah, the defense was was excellent throughout, as you mentioned. I think also um we've mentioned most of the players. I think I mean Cole Keith and Isaac Salmon, I think two front row guys that we haven't mentioned um so far. The front row's been outstanding and uh new arrows definitely had the better scrum in this game too. Um, when Faleva came on, obviously the scrum continued its dominance, but then, um, yeah, he kind of has that a little bit of that extra like ball carrying technique and he's been, continues to be playing out of his mind the past couple of weeks. McRogers followed up his man, uh, player of the week performance this week was solid again. Um, there's, you know, and obviously like kind of, I think we've mentioned Sheridan, the Yeah. We've mentioned the whole back line, uh, shout out Marcello Wainwright getting into his, uh, his first yeah. actual playing time this year. Um, that dude works incredibly hard, so it's always nice to mm-hmm. see uh, 
those players get rewarded um, that, you know, find themselves a little bit, maybe a little bit deeper on the depth chart, but uh, he came in put great 20 minutes, um, you know, made some tackles involved at the breakdown. Uh, liked what I saw out of him during this game. So that was good. Good to see. Um, yeah, man. Great all, all around game. So now, I mean, we're going to obviously talk about the other games that happened this week, but uh, New York let us down a lot. Mm. So, uh, Stu, you want to let the let the fine people know what uh, what we're looking at here the uh, the Arrows playoff hopes and where we kind of stand. Yeah, unfortunately, Arrows fans, it's not looking great because of, with the um, rugby ATL victory over New York and a remarkable one, we'll get into later. It is currently in the East. We have New England at the top of the standings. And, you know, it's one of those things of like, if they had won this game, obviously we wouldn't be talking about um, positions and so on and so forth. But it would have been a case of New England would have secured their place at the top of the Eastern Conference. They're currently on the 56 points. And Rugby ATL and Rugby New York are both on the same of 47 points. So with only 10 points left that uh, ATL or New York can claim, all New England need essentially is a losing bonus point and a try bonus point in either of their two games, and they have secured uh, the playoff final for the East. But ATL, they are now on 47. New York are on 47, and Toronto is on 40. Like I said, only two games left, so 10 points available. And we have the Fire and Ice Cup between the Arrows and ATL this coming weekend. New York, at the same time, will be facing Old Glory DC. So, essentially, the Arrows will need to get two, uh, ideally, bonus point wins mm-hmm. that, and for them to help secure a playoff spot. But at the same time, we need Atlanta or New York to lose both of their games and to not collect any uh, losing bonus points or try bonus points, ideally. There is a buffer of like uh, two or three points, but at this at this um, place in time, just say no, no points, ideally, would be better. But um, And that's the thing, even if the Arrows do get a... Uh, five point, uh, five match point uh, victory and go up to 45 points and Atlanta get nothing at 47. Atlanta, the following week in the final round, will be facing Nola Gold. And again, if it's a case of, you know, a draw, uh, losing bonus point, try bonus point as well, it'll like, and, you know, it is one of these unfortunate cases where it's not just uh, the Arrows doing whatever they can do. It's also another team has to do the job for us. In this case, Nola Gold for ATL. New York will be playing New England in the last round, but that game against DC, that is going to be a fun matchup. But I think what New York will be hoping for at that point is that it's a dead rubber between themselves and New England. You know, they don't need to worry about... um, Trying to secure their place in the playoffs because they'll have already done it. So it will be a case for New York and New England, you know, give the uh, younger guys a bit of a start, get them prepared, and then the real work begins the week after. But for the Arrows, 
you know, they need to do the business against Atlanta. They need to do the business against DC, but they also need Nola Gold to do the business against um, Atlanta as yeah. well. So unfortunately, that is the situation. It is, it is um, obviously very close. Um, Atlanta and New York have won nine games and lost five. The Yankees have won eight and lost six. And it does seem to be as though the teams that are going to make the playoffs are the teams that get uh, 10 wins under their belt. But, you know, that's uh, easier said for the uh, ATL and New York teams than it is for the Arrows at the moment. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying oh, no. the odds are not in the Arrows' favor. Yeah, no, we still got that uh, the old dumb and dumber. So you're saying there's a chance. Um, yeah, there's still a chance. On. But uh, I think I think an important thing to note too, um, the point differential right now, where uh, Atlanta's plus ninety one, New York's plus eight, and Toronto is plus fifty. So if it came down to it being a close possible tie with New York, Toronto might have an edge on New York as far as the tiebreakers go. So yeah. that could be beneficial. But Atlanta will probably have the edge on Toronto if they come down to tiebreakers. Um, I mean. I kind of said it's the unfortunate thing, right? Like the the best the best thing Toronto can do is annihilate Atlanta in Atlanta yeah. next week. Um, like I said, bonus point win. Don't give Atlanta anything. Um, right, beat them by eight. Don't let them score four tries. Yeah, you know that's that's what's going to be needed. And then and then you become the biggest Nola Gold fans in the world the next yeah. week. Um, who plays? I was going to say, actually, do you know the schedule? Who plays first in the final week of the season? Uh, the final week of the season, it yeah. is... Like, are we going to know? I've got a feeling it's like a Western matchup, which is... You know, so, okay. Um, I, I so, it is, it is Atlanta, NOLA will be on... Um, Saturday. No, Atlanta, Friday, Friday. Friday at 7 p.m. Friday. At the same time as New England, New York. Oh, man. So, so we're, we're like, okay. So, in theory... If at, Toronto beats Atlanta this weekend, you're gonna know. But we're gonna know before we even before they even play on the final week. You're gonna know. Yeah, the arrows are gonna so. know. So it's like that'll be interesting to see. Like if, if Toronto, that would be the most interesting situation possible. Then right, like if Toronto beats Atlanta this weekend, and then if Nola could beat Atlanta the week after, right? You'd be playing yeah. on glory, knowing that there's a playoff spot on the line. That would be a very fascinating scenario. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately, though, like, unfortunately, though, as you said, I mean, as the uh, the we'll get into this later, too, as the Canadian Sevens teams um, learn this weekend, it's unfortunately when you leave uh, your fate in the hands of other teams, it's doesn't always go go super well. So um, no matter no matter how how well you actually perform. So, I mean, best case scenario for the arrows, just uh, bury your head and uh, do your job and then hope for the best after you do your job. Right. So. Yeah, like that's the thing. They got to f- focus on the task at hand, and that task at hand is the Fire and Ice Cup coming up this Saturday at three PM Eastern Time. But we've got some other things going on with the Arrows. So some of you eagle-eyed uh, team sheet watchers will notice that James O'Neill was not in the Arrow squad this week, and that is because James O'Neill has been cited and he has been suspended for three weeks. So. He will play no further part in the Arrows' regular season appearances, but if the Arrows do make the playoffs, he has a chance of making amends there. Um, it was also the Arrows' academy game on Saturday. That's just passed. Um, they were supposed to be facing um, 
the New England Academy side. Um, they unfortunately couldn't um, come north of the border, so they had to play. They um, were fortunate enough to play the Oakville Crusaders, who very graciously were able to step up for that match. And the final score was uh, the Arrows Academy 45, Oakville Crusaders 14. And that is all in preparation for the Coast to Coast Cup, which will begin this coming Saturday. Yeah, and that right. game is uh, that game's on the Oakville Crusaders YouTube channel if you uh, haven't had a chance to watch it. I personally haven't had a chance to watch it yet. Um, as I kind of said earlier, a bit of a busy weekend, but um, really kind of looking forward to diving into that and getting excited for uh, the Academy and the Coast to Coast Cup and all the exciting, growing Canadian high-performance rugby that's been happening in our country. Well, speaking of Canadian performances, we have to look at the five other games from MLR this weekend. And first up, we have the highest-scoring MLR game on record, DC versus Houston. The final score, DC 42, Houston 59. Two things about this game that shocked me is that, one, a team can score over 40 points and still lose. And two, this has happened to DC previously i believe that they scored over 40 points and didn't win the game because it was something like 46 47 or something along those lines um mm. i'm sure uh, james Dealey from mlr stats will be able to uh, inform us of what the highest scoring games are you should have just but, asked um, about the game last week uh, well that's the thing i i saw it this oh it was I saw... before it what, 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 yeah, I, exactly. what i say oh man yeah uh, never mind never mind never mind Never mind. Uh, see, assume, time, time doesn't just affect me; it affects uh, Derek as well. Yeah, I assume I assume you could uh, you could tell the future. Uh, I yeah. assume that. yeah. that's how you afford that lovely apartment that you have behind you. Is you have the uh, Biff Sports Almanac thing from Back to the Future, <laughs> popping on Cool Bet for all the MLR games. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Okay, um, so with all these try scorers, you would be expecting at least one Canadian to make their appearance, and they did, and that was uh, the Sabercats fullback, Rob Povey, was able to score a try in the 24th minute, and he also set up the conversion for Van der Schip's try in the 75th minute. Um, now, this was, you know, you couldn't look away, because if you blinked, you would uh, miss the try being scored. That was... Just absolutely bananas just to like watch that. And I think it was like Dean Muir, uh, the first MLR player to score four tries in one game. You know, fantastic effort from him, scoring in the third, 12th, 30th, and 48th minute. But yeah, it's that four, five, six, seven, eight, uh, nine tries scored by Houston to six tries scored by DC. But, um, I will say uh, Luetta's um, try in like the 80th plus one minute was an intercept. So, you know, the score was 42-52 at that point. So, you know, a lot closer than uh, what is to be, uh, than what the scoreline gives and, you know, continuous back and forth. Um, you know, DC able to nail all five of their conversions and uh, Copsa only able to get... Uh, Five out of six. Povey only to get uh, one of the two uh, that he needed. Um, but yeah, ill discipline affected DC a lot. Um, 
Nicotini got a red card in the 11th minute. Coleman got a yellow card in the 26th minute. And Kalapu got a, uh, another yellow card in the 44th minute. So, you know, that's a good uh, portion of the game with DC down to 13 players and another 10-minute spell with them down to um, 14. And, yeah, it's, you know, defence out the window. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Jettisoned into the sun. Doesn't matter. I mean, um, Houston obviously knew that they needed to get the win to help their um, playoff chances. DC, you know, you were saying before, Derek, of like, you know, DC can um, irritate other teams and like get in their way of like making the playoffs and so, and they, you know, bloody well tried, but uh, only able to get the uh, try bonus point out of all this. And, but no, nah, this this is a good game to watch. This this is a game you can introduce to new players and be like, no, that's not a power play. That's a send in. <laughs> oh man, yeah. Uh, is this the uh, is this the first game that 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 was used? I guess so, right? Is in the timeline. Well, that it may have been used for the um, arrows game, but obviously we were at the game, so we oh, have no I, idea. I re I rewatched the arrows game. It wasn't. It didn't get. Nobody was mad on Twitter. That's the thing. Okay, fair enough. So, yeah, maybe maybe oh. this was when it was first used. Um, again, but, I, I was watching it and just being like, I have to just keep my eyes on this all the yeah, time. Yeah, because I I, uh, the, I, uh, yeah, the highlight pack is crazy because it's just like try, 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 try. Um, yellow card, yellow card, red card, try, 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 try. Um, yeah, the, um, obviously a wild game. Um, like you said, shout out to Dean Muir. I mean, four tries in a game. Like, you got to setting the pace for uh for all the uh the MLR players to uh, keep up to later. Um yeah, obviously for DC, man, I thought it looked like DC played pretty well. I mean, I, I'm I've been liking their game since uh Nate Osborne took over, man. They've been a lot better than what they were earlier in the stuff earlier in the season. Obviously, I've picked up a couple wins and you know, look like they have the potential to ruin someone's year. Um but you know, is it going to be tough, man, when you uh you pick up three cards in a game that's always that's always tough, especially that that Coleman yellow came with uh, still during Nakatini's red. So, I mean, yeah. they were playing with 13 guys for a little bit. And, uh, you know, that's obviously like a little a bit of a stretch of time there where I think I think Povey got a try. No, sorry. Povey's try came just before that. Um, but Mir, I think um, a couple, um, one of Mir's tries was while they had 13 guys. Right. So it's. Mm. um you know that's always difficult, and I mean, like it's it was a certainly looks like a fun game to watch because I mean, you know, maybe the maybe a defense coach's nightmare, maybe the uh, the film sessions, you know, on a Monday morning aren't going to be the most flattering for uh, some players trying to make tackles and stuff. But yeah. certainly, uh, certainly a game, fun game for the fans. It's uh, uh, games where defense is forgotten are usually uh, really highly enjoyed by fans, but maybe not so much by the coaching staffs a little bit. But uh, Certainly an entertaining well, contest. Well, we've got to move on from a high-scoring game to a game that started off very low-scoring and then obviously uh, changed around in the second half. So we head to Dallas, where the Guiltinis came to test their metal. You know, L.A., impressive, starting off with a uh, front row that was entirely Canadian. We have the Sears, Duru, uh, Stevens, and Les Mackin. Uh, coming in as the starting front row. So that was wonderful to see. Um, but yeah, this was, uh, for the first 30 minutes, there was not a single point scored until uh, the 32nd minute. And then uh, Billy Meeks decides, oh yeah, we need to actually win this game. 
and uh, scores a try. And then just two minutes before halftime, Rora um, scores a try for Dallas and Carlsa gets a conversion. And we're all even Stevens at uh, halftime, seven all. So, yeah, very uh, interesting turn of events. So, and then second half. Stevens. Yeah, speaking of even Stevens, um, <laughs> Lindsay Stevens uh, not only able to get one try, but to get two in the second half. He actually started off the scoring in the uh, second half, I believe. Uh, the first try of the second half um, in the 43rd minute and then uh, followed it up again in the 56th minute. And, you know, both um, con one converted by Burton, the other one converted by Carty. And then... Um, but in between those two tries, as well as um, a number of other players, uh, we also had Ben Lesage getting another try for LA. And so, yeah, it was, you know, a interesting start. Obviously, Dallas able to hold the defending champions for seven points at halftime. And then, you know, LA reminded, like, look, if we win this game, we can actually jump um, Austin in the table. And they were like, oh, yeah, we have to actually score tries to win games. So, you know, finally good to see um, those players come back. I mean, other tries from Ryber, Goddard, Perry, and Fepulay. Um, Ryber yeah, really... cap, too. Yeah. So, obviously, I keep forgetting that Ryberg used to play for the Raptors as well. I was like, he's played 50 games for L.A. It's just, it's just he's so synonymous with scoring tries for L.A., over it's, the past two years, scored a so. lot of tries for the Raptors in those years too. I know, but one year for the Raptors. Yeah, uh, but ultimately, you know, LA sat what they needed to do. Dallas, you know, able to hold the defending champions again, and also scoring points, which is something they weren't able to do against Toronto. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it seemed back to get into the swing of things. You know, obviously their season hasn't gone the way they wanted to, but. It's, you know, it's end it on a high or as high as you can against LA. But, you know, good for them. And congratulations to Stevens and Lesage for getting their collective three tries for the Guiltinis. Yeah, it's obviously, you know, you, you always love to see uh, the Canadians contribute on the uh, on the scoreboard a lot, right? So mm -hmm. that's great. Um, man, and, yeah, uh, yeah, I love seeing all um, LA uh, utilizing the full containing contingent there. Um, this was the uh, definitely one of the games when I checked my phone. I was like, "What on earth is happening?" Seeing the seven-seven score at halftime, um, um, and I, I, I got to admit, I kind of got excited. I was like, "Oh, sweet! I get to wear my maybe I'll get to wear my jackals hat on the podcast this week." And then I checked the second end of my second half score, and I was like, "Oh, that makes more sense." Um, so a little unfortunate to see that. I mean. It's tough, man. Tough for uh, tough for Dallas right now. Like this is their sixth game in a row, giving up more than fifty points. Right? Yeah. It's probably emotionally, it's probably even tougher playing so well in that first half, and um, you know, going into the sheds tied with um, a great team like LA. But fortunately, it's you know, LA kind of showed why they're uh, they're the champs, and um, you know why they are once again finding themselves at the top of the table because. You know, they're, they are a great team, and even if uh, they have a bit of a slow start. It is nice, though, seeing that half because it does also kind of reiterate the point that you can't really underestimate people in Major League Rugby, can't underestimate teams. Um, but 
you know, because, you know, a team like the Jackals can, uh, even if it's just for 40 minutes, can hang with the uh, defending champs and, you know, a team that now sits on top of their conference. But uh, unfortunately for the Jackals, you got a, you know, they got one game left. Um, one, one game left to avoid, um, you know, I guess being the uh, the second team to go 0-16 in Major League Rugby's history, which um, probably isn't something that they were striving for early, but, um, you know, they got to play. They got the last games against, I believe, it's against Utah, right? Um, so it's, uh, you know, it should be, a, that should be a good one. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's at home. Hopefully uh, the home fans give them a, give them a nice little send off and, um, yeah. You know that's all, all you can really do, man. I hope uh, I hope they uh, put in a good performance uh, this week and uh, are able to. Oh, sir, no, that, that was a bye week. week I'm so. sorry, they have a bye week. Their last week's week 18. It's still against yeah. Utah, um, so they got. I guess they got a week to regroup and then, uh, yeah, hopefully they put in a good show for uh, the final week of the season and uh, can be sent off on a, on a bit of a high in front of their yeah. fans who, you know, seem to uh, have definitely been st- sticking with them and supporting them the whole way through this. Uh, the season, which has obviously been tough. Yeah. So we move now to the gold mine as San Diego come to visit New Orleans. And remember you saying how San Diego had, not San Diego, how NOLA had the worst record at home uh, for an MLR team? Yeah. Well, after their win at home last week, it was back to the usual for NOLA. This was uh, not fun for them. Again, it was a case of San Diego is a team that needs to make the playoffs whilst NOLA are already out and confirmed as fifth in the East. So, you know, I think obviously that um, mental headspace for San Diego and knowing that they only have one game left and that they need to win at all costs. So set up first was um, Michael Smith getting the try in the 20th minute to get the uh, first points on the board for San, uh, San Diego. And then uh, we had the first of three tries by Mr. Jason Higgins scoring in the 23rd minute. Um, then after a penalty try for Nola, he was able to collect a knock-on ball and go the distance for 30, uh, trying the 34th minute. And then in the second half, this was probably, you know, the try of the weekend as San Diego went from one end of the pitch to the other. Great offloads, everyone in position they need to be, and Higgins getting it under the sticks for a seven-pointer. So basically, yeah, three tries in the space of 40 minutes of game time. That is fantastic to see. There were some, yeah, Will Hooley um, was sent um, forced off with an arm injury, and Joe Peterson had to move up to fly half. And... You know, ill-discipline creeped in. You know, Michael Smith, although he got the try in the uh, 20th minute, got a yellow card in the 29th. And then Nola got a yellow card. No, they got a red card, sorry, in the 72nd minute um, for Karoy um, for a really foolish um, shoulder to the head. Uh, But both teams had um, been given marching orders from the referee. I think it was... uh, Nola first got driven back uh, 20 meters, and then at the next penalty, San Diego got driven back 10 meters, and then the ref had to really uh, put his foot down and say, like, this is the rules, stop messing around. Um, yeah, halftime, 21-7 to San Diego, the full-time score, Nola 12, San Diego 42. So yeah, this is, 
and it seems to be another case uh, for San Diego, same level like Toronto. They need other teams to do their job. Obviously, not playing in the final week is always going to um, leave you waiting on the sidelines. So, but as we look at the table, it's, uh, you know, it's not looking good. They're already out of the playoff picture at the moment. They're in fourth with uh, 42 points. Houston have 46 so it's basically if case of if Houston gets even two points, if it's a draw, or if they get a try bonus point and losing bonus point, then, you know, it's obviously not really going to work out well. And Houston will be facing Seattle, whilst um, San Diego will be facing Austin. So half a week. You know, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, a, it's not uh, going to be the easiest of games for San Diego against uh, the team that's desperate to regain their footing as the, the top team in the West. But we shall see. We shall see. And uh, yeah, as you've mentioned too, man, show Jason Higgins dude, uh, picked up the nice hat trick, which is a term that we can borrow from hockey um, that everybody likes. And um, so, yeah, great hat trick from him. And, you know, so tries too, as you mentioned, were kind of classics. One of those tries is, uh, I believe, his third try is the the MLR try of the week right now. He won man of yeah. the match. Um, so outstanding. Wait, did he win player of the week as well? Um, as of recording this, I don't think the uh, on Monday night. I don't believe the MLR has announced the player of the week yet. Let's have a quick scan. It, what? Yeah, you keep talking, and I'll uh, just have a quick check. Yeah, so um, that's obviously great to see for Higgins. And then, yeah, tough road ahead um, for the San Diego Legion, uh, as you kind of mentioned. Um, I Again, though, I think another thing that we always have to shout out, man, it's like anytime I'm like, watching San Diego this year, um, Mike Smith is so good. He's like, he's so good. Yeah, um, yeah we need, um, can't wait to see him in a Canada jersey again later this summer, man. Like, he's just unreal. Um, he played really well. Um, it's probably going to have to play really well next week too, because as you mentioned, they only got one shit, one one more crack at this, and uh, the standings aren't doing them too much favors at this point in time. They probably need, I don't know, can I guess what's their what's what's San Diego's best hope? Seattle and Houston tie. <laughs> is that the best? Uh, no, it's, the Points. idea is that Seattle beats Houston, and then the following week, Austin beat Houston as well. Mm. So, but, he, but yeah, I say that it's also a case of if uh, Seattle win. Oh, because Seattle. Well, Seattle are on 36. So, sorry, Seattle are currently eliminated from uh, the playoff picture. So, yeah, no, it doesn't really matter. Not necessarily. It depends on how that tiebreaker shakes out. Well, it's a, it's it a case of. Completely it, eliminated. Well, that, no, this is the thing because if Seattle do get 10 points, yeah. uh, San Diego, if they get a try bonus point win they'll be on 47 so they'll be ahead regardless so it's pretty much seattle um is co- is like mathematically possibly but realistically they're out mm-hmm. of uh, the playoff picture again it's like if houston get uh one bonus point or two bonus points over the next two games mm-hmm. uh they're secured in the playoff hunt so yeah, it's not looking good for San Diego or Seattle, really. So Seattle know that they need a uh, uh, try, uh, five, a four try uh, win against uh, Houston, and then they also need um, other teams to do their job as well. So 
Nice. You know, it's 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 tough in the East and it's tough in the West at this moment. Uh, we've got the final two games. Uh, now this was a bit of a shock result: um, Utah versus Austin. So I did start off with Austin getting the first try of the game, Utah getting a try as well, but also the Utah getting the conversion. Then it was a case of um, Austin getting a penalty. That put them up to eight points to seven at the half. And then Utah got a penalty at the start of the second half to put them back in front. And then it was all Utah from that point onwards. It was um, Paul Lasique getting a try in the 66th minute. And then it was uh, Neil Saunders getting a try in the 73rd minute. And that try by Saunders is just salt to the wound for Austin. They, you know, they were still close. They could have still turned it around, but, you know, the defence just shut them out. And that uh, result, by getting no uh, losing bonus point and no try bonus point, that actually knocks Austin from the top perch in the West. They are currently now second behind L.A., and the standings are so close. So LA currently have 49 points, Austin 48, and Houston 46. So it is wow. very close. And Utah, Utah's having fun um, ruining teams' years too. So Yeah, and, and um, it'll be interesting because the final game of their season is Utah versus Dallas. So two teams that have already been eliminated. Uh, it's a dead rubber game. But I think that's the game where you, the defense coach is like, right, I'm taking the week off. Just score tries. I'm done. It's okay. Yeah, it's fine. And we can hopefully see like a massive try fest between those two teams. I think that was something that everyone would like to see. Well, well I would like to see, but uh, that's just me. And now we come to the final game of the week. And Thanks, New York. Yeah, thanks a lot. <laughs> thanks, guys. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, you hire all those uh, all blacks, and uh, turns don't out you them. can't actually get the job done. I mean, in fairness, I don't, how many all blacks actually played? I don't think because uh, Nahalo didn't play, even yeah. though they announced that stacked like back row lineup and then didn't really use it. Yeah, because oh, like, I remember I Andrew Coe and Quinn Nawadi getting some. Uh, yeah, Andrew Coe was on the bench and then started the game, and then Quinn Nawadi wasn't even in the match day 23, and then he's suddenly starting as well. And so. we ended up with Nawadi versus Barton in 12, which is also. Yeah, that was. Also uh, Barton won. Yeah. Barton won <laughs> by a lot. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you're confused about, like, oh, did this player do better than the other player? Just sec. Were they playing for Atlanta or were they playing for New York? And if they were playing for Atlanta, <laughs> they won. I was going to say, um, I think the only player on Atlanta that uh, that struggled was Cole Davis trying to keep the one on his jersey from falling off. <laughs> well, the, the four was peeling off as well. But, oh, was uh, it? Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was thinking like, God, this second row was really uh, quick. And then I realized, no, that's uh, that's not Justin Basson. Oh, yeah, they're trying to uh, the old like two three three one uh, yeah. forward attacking formation. Eh? Putting two guys out on the wing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this was so obviously Atlanta knew what they needed to do. You know, they'd had a three match losing streak, the longest in their history, and they needed to rectify it. New York. Mm-hmm knew as well that they needed to get a bonus point win and that would have definitely helped their chances for the playoffs. Instead, uh, they decided not to do that. And, you know, everything just seemed to be haphazard. And I think it was down to the 
you know, late changes as well, because I'm certain that New York prepared um, their starting lineup as the lineup that's been training together and been focused on the game plan together and just having these different players in different positions. I mean, Andrew Coe had like, to me, it wasn't just Andrew Coe. I think a lot of the passing for New York was just really sloppy, just going to feet, just going to places where players no longer were. And yeah, it was just, it, it, I'd sum it up as though each of the New York players trained for this game individually. Yeah, they just played bad. Um, yeah, just, one, one thing I do find kind of interesting um, looking at it. So that was the, um, I believe that was the eighth um, New York home game this year. Um, yeah. Which obviously they, uh, they've been playing at um, uh, JFK Stadium there in um, Hoboken. Um, they're, uh, they have New York has five losses this year. Yeah. Four of them are at home. Yeah. Right. And it's, it is interesting to see. And I was like kind of looking at their losses at home and stuff too. And the teams that they've lost to at home are the free Jacks, the arrows, the free Jacks again, because they played them twice. Yeah. Um, And then rugby ATL, their lone yeah. loss is when they got absolutely annihilated by LA um yeah but it's like they're, they're losing games to these like physical like teams that are very physical really good around the breakdown yeah um right and it's like new york new york's good around the breakdown i'm not saying they're, they're not um but like when you got wingers and fullbacks like this team does and that this team has added or whatever like obviously like i mean co fit out Nahalo, Milner Scudder, um, even like Lockyer if he's playing, um, even guys like like Emery Fuatai in the middle, um, Quinn Nawadi, who goes between the middle and the wings, depending on what you want them to do. Yeah. It's they're built like a team that wants to play expansive rugby, and it feels like they can't do it at home. Yeah. Or whatever. Well, well, it also doesn't help that um Tucker gets himself a red oh. card after yeah. doing two red card level offenses within yeah. the space of six seconds. Yeah. Yeah. That definitely did not help. Yeah. That was, that was um, not a whole lot of arguing on that one. Um, no, that was, yeah, no, that uh, did not help. Um, and I mean, obviously that means they're probably, they're probably without him for um, you would think a couple weeks at least. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, three, well, at least, at least three. obviously received the red card for one offense. Cite, probably going to be cited for the other as yeah. well. It's like you get both. You get yeah, for both. Um, but uh, yeah, like so. I mean, I don't uh, like it's tough. Um, but yeah, like I, I find it interesting that it's like the the way that their team's built because it's like we watched the game against Toronto when you put yeah. them on like the proper size pitch. Oh, dude, carving up the yeah. uh, the arrows defense in that game. Um, right, loving that attacking rugby, loving that width. Can't do it at home though, it's weird. No. And it's like yeah. four of their five losses are at home, and uh, yeah. losing to the other Eastern Conference teams a lot that like that enjoy that physical, physical brand of rugby, right? Yeah. So, It'll be interesting to see what New York do in this offseason. Of, do they stay at JFK? I feel like New York throughout their entire history has just been constantly in search of a stadium. Yeah, and, well, I mean, it's New York. Well, it's an course. ongoing it's battle not... in New York or whatever. Yeah. And, that, and that's it. until, until they get rebranded as like um, the Red Bull Minotaurs or something like that. They're not going to be playing at like uh, Red Bull Stadium. 
or anything like that. So that's yeah, probably a little big, but like, I mean, yeah, like, I mean, I'm sure they'll, I'm not too, like, I'm not like worried about it. I'm sure they'll come up with something. I mean, if they yeah. end up back at JFK, they end up back at JFK, but it's, in, it's an interest. I just think it's a, it's a weirdly interesting quirk that, uh, like the way their team is built seems like they would want to be playing expansive wide and attacking rugby. And then their, their feel that home won't let them. And now, and after eight home games, their four of their five losses are at home. It's weird. Yeah. It's weird. It's most teams home stadium doesn't hurt them. New York seems like it does a little bit. Yeah. Well, we'll see if uh, New York can replicate their form of all when they play at DC this coming week. Now we move from North America to Europe as we focus on the World Sevens. It is a double header of um, competitive weekends for the men's, and this round in uh, Toulouse was also the men's sevens and the women's sevens as well. And uh, we've been talking about uh, a certain game that affected Canada, but this was their group stage results, so a 24 to 5 loss to England. A stunning uh, 12-19 victory over Argentina and a comprehensive 40-14 victory over Japan. But that uh, England-Argentina game eventually uh, secured um, England and Argentina into the cup finals and demoted um, Canada out of it. Uh, then it was a narrow 1921 loss to Spain and then a comprehensive 27 to 7 loss to Wales with the final ranking position of 13th, which is really unfortunate. But, you know, it's uh, mm-hmm. disappointing. And, Love you know, there, you there has been um, talk, uh, I know, like uh, rugby figures such as like Nigel Owen say that this is. Um, counterproductive and you know there should be uh there are offenses to this you know like bringing um the game to disrepute uh wasting time as well mm. um he even said that in circumstances where this has happened on when he's been a referee on the uh, world seven stage he's always told the player to score the try or else they would concede a penalty and these um Surprised that the coach didn't. Some people have also argued as well that um, there's no law to say that you have to score a try. And it's not only England's fault, it's um, Argentina's as well, because they didn't come to, you know, prevent scoring of the try as well. I should mention as well, Argentina did have a man in the sin bin at this time. So they were winding down the clock as well until that player yeah, was out of the a, sin bin. Red card. Um, they were playing so, the game with the yeah. So, you know, it's a case of I'm sure a new rule will come from this as a result yeah, because, you know, if to. you're a fan and you've come, come along to this game and you're just waiting for a player to score a try for two minutes, then uh, yeah, I, you're I, not going to be happy about that. That's certainly the thing, right? Like, as a spectacle, it's brutal. Right. Like you essentially, we essentially watched two teams stop playing for two minutes. Yeah. Um, the, I think, I think like the thing is, I know Nigel Owens is saying that he would have given a penalty or said a, or threatened the penalty. Right. Yeah. In order to uh, get, get, um, I believe, who is it? Will Homer um, to, uh, mm. to ground the ball there. But it's, it, it's so weird because it's like, I wanted to, like it, it's weird because it's like, what do you do? Like, is like you said, it's like, is it the fault of you know 
the Eng- uh, the English player for just not grounding the ball and standing there. What happens if he stands at the 22 meter line instead? Right. Yeah. Like it stands and waits there. There's like, you know what I mean? Um, there's obviously a bunch of people that were immediately suggesting it's like, oh, once you cross the line, you should only have 10 seconds to ground the ball. Well, then he's probably just not going to cross the line and he's going to sit there and wait ahead of it. Um, I think the issue, like, I think I agree with what you're saying that there's, there's probably going to be a new rule that comes from this, right? Because I think that that was weird. And I know everyone was citing um, certain rules such as the spirit of the game law, which to be honest, I don't really know how, what he did is a, a what either yeah, that, that's the thing when he, when he's talking game. about stuff like that, it's, yeah, it's so vague. vague that yeah. But even like, you can't really say it's yeah. like oh it's not in the spirit of the game like, totally, cool is it within the law yeah well that's the thing though it's like even like i i think it's in the spirit of the game he did like both teams who i think are kind of both equally at fault because let's be real here argentina gives up on that play the moment he touches that ball yeah lado gives up like they do not care about yeah any try that's about to be scored um, and I mean, even to the point where like players were like calling guys back that even kind of thought about walking down there to make yeah. them score that try earlier. The coach telling them to not actually go back. Um, but I'm like, at the end of the day, it's like by um, England doing that, it's like they're doing the thing that's best for them to advance in the tournament to win, right? Yeah. Which to me is in the spirit of the game because you're trying to win the tournament, right? Yeah. Um, but I think. So the thing is that I find super interesting. The one rule everybody was citing was rule. Uh, so under nine, rule seven D. Stu, I sent you the link on our chat. Um, to the rule. Can you read me what unfair play rule seven D says? Unfair play. A player must not d waste time. Sanction okay. free kick. Sanction free kick. It gives two examples of. Guys, I guess, kind of wasting time in set pieces, not getting set properly. Yeah. Here's my thing. What, like, that is so vague. Yeah. As far as a rule goes, like, what is considered wasting time? I would like to compare it with something else. So, Stu, have you ever seen the NHL's delay of game rule? Which no, I guess I, closest no, comparison I to. No, you haven't. Okay, perfect. Can you open up the doc that you just sent to me and go to? Yeah, yeah, I got it right here. What is the first thing that you notice other than the fact that this rule is three and a half pages long? There's delaying the game, a minor penalty, and there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot, right? So basically, it's it it explains. It's three pages long. It's over three pages long, and that minor penalty section has 10 bullet points listing 10 different things that you can do that are going to be determined as delaying the game slash wasting time. Yeah. Right. It's, it gets specific on like, you know, puck shooting the puck over the glass, um, diving on the puck to smother it, things like that. Mm. Right. Versus rugby, just wasting time. You can't waste. What does that mean? You know what I mean? Is, is wasting time when a team kicks a ball for territory after a penalty and walks instead of jogs. Yeah. That's wasting time. Yeah. Trying to slow the game down doing that. Right. Like it's, you know, so like, what is, what does that mean? Like wasting time. So I think what I would just like to see from this is like that waste time rule. I think you need to expand it and 
be more specific on things. And I think like in a lot of other sports, um, once somebody kind of exploits a loophole in any rule book yeah. um, to a point where like nobody really likes it at all, um, usually that results in a change in the rule. I'm not really sure what you would say here, though. That's my question. Like, what do you say? Like, you have 10 seconds to ground the ball. But like, if they don't cross the line, can you how do you enforce that? Like, I don't I don't know what the actual law would be here, though. That's my question. It's like, because all, all he's doing, like, is is there a law against standing on the pitch just holding the ball if the other team isn't going to try to tackle you, right? Like, I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, uh, well, as soon as any rule comes into play and there's an exploit found, which has been shown here, it's then um, pretty quickly by World Rugby, especially if it affects the viewing of the game. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if this was in place by the time of the London sevens this coming weekend. So yeah, it's one of the things like rugby keeps changing like certain rules every year or so when it comes to like scrum and, you know, like the new 5022 rule. But, you know, I think more clarity needs to be done for these kind of things as well, because when you leave it open to referee interpretation, it just, yeah makes it a crapshoot every time i think was the interesting thing with like nigel owens kind of saying that he would have called a penalty there is the other ref didn't yeah right and like can we argue with the other ref for not calling that yeah that's yeah if if it's open to interpretation then what what is wasting time i don't know like it's And yeah, it's not against well, the spirit of the game because that's what England needed to do to win. So yeah, exactly. So you know, this is this is something that we should hopefully um, see address, and you know, it should not uh, be in place for when the HSBC World Series heads to Twickenham Stadium this coming weekend. But we've talked a lot about the men's game. Let's move quickly on to the women's game as well. They seem to have a much better turn of events. Obviously, no controversy on their side. Um, They started off the weekend with a 26-12 victory over Spain. They followed that up with a 14-7 victory over Scotland. And then, unfortunately, a 17-0 loss against the New Zealand Black Ferns. And then another narrow, heartbreaking loss in the Cup quarterfinals losing to Ireland 22-21, a one-point difference. However, they follow that up with a 19-7 win over the United States before losing to hosts France 19-14. Their final place in the tournament is six. And, you know, it's uh, disappointing, but obviously, you know, got to focus now, turn your head, uh, want to be selected not only for the Commonwealth Games in uh, July, but also the World Cup coming up in September as well. So that's where the focus needs to be now. And as we've mentioned, the World Series moves to London this weekend, and you can catch that on Saturday and Sunday on CBC and CBC Gem. We also have the finals of the Champions and Challenge Cup, and you can watch that on epcrugby.tv. On TSN, we have the latest round of Super Rugby Pacific. And on the Rugby Network, we have the Japan League One Finals, which will take place between Tokyo Sungoliath and Saitama Wild Knights. Also on MLR, also on the Rugby Network are all the MLR games that are not 
on Arrows Games. And we also have the Coast to Coast Cup, which will also be streamed live on the Rugby Network. And uh, the Arrows will be heading down to Atlanta this weekend, Saturday at 3 p.m. Eastern time. And you can watch that game on the TSN website or the TSN app. And, you know, this is going to be one to watch because it is the Fire and Ice Cup and maybe the determining factor of who makes the playoffs. But Derek, it's come to that point of the podcast. We now have to make our picks for round 17 of Major League Rugby. And first up, we have Seattle versus Houston. Oh, man. Uh, at home is Seattle. Mm-hmm. Um, I like I like I like Seattle trying to keep their season alive a little bit at home. I think I can go with Seattle. You're gonna go with Seattle? Well, I mean, mathematically, it's uh, there for Seattle. It's also there for San Diego. But I'm sure Houston want to be in a position where they can, you know, get into the. Uh, playoff race and not have to worry about whatever happens in the other game. So I'm going to go with the Sabercats. Next up, we have the Fire and Ice Cup, Atlanta hosting Toronto. Derek, are you going to be going with ice or fire? Uh, definitely ice. Definitely ice. Let's go arrows. Um, it's a big one. Big one. Season on the line. Okay, and now we have for the third game of the round is a replay of the Western Conference Final: Utah versus LA. Who have you got, Derek? LA. Short and sweet. Uh, I got to agree with you on this one. You know they may be uh, top of the West, but they need to secure that spot, and obviously a win will definitely help them. Although that said. I thought they would. Uh, Austin would be able to do the same as well. Maybe Utah can get a double over the Cocktail Cousins and uh, really uh, screw up their plans. <laughs> Speaking of uh, cocktails, it is also Austin versus San Diego. Again, one team looking to get uh, to directly into the conference final and another team just looking to get into the playoffs. And, you know, especially after that uh, performance against Utah, I know Austin want to turn it around. They want to get back to where they want to be. I will be going with the Gilgronis. How dare you pick the team that has no Canadians versus the team that has a ton of Canadians and pick the team with no Canadians, Stu. I'm going to pick San Diego. All right. Fair enough. Good logic, I will admit. Um, Next up, we have the Eastern Clash of DC versus New York. Now, DC... Technically did outscore New York in this past round, but, you know, it's going to be a wider pitch. New York will probably have more room to maneuver, so I'm going to go with New York. Once again, Stu, how dare you pick against the Arrows' hopes here, DC? Fair enough, fair enough. And finally, it is New England versus Nola Gold. And, you know, after Toronto brutally ended New England's 10-match winning streak. And I'll be watching the highlights of that game probably for the next few months or so just to see how badly New England lost. I think their focus will also be on the fact that if they get a win, they secure the home playoff final for the East. So I will be backing the Free Jacks this time out. Yeah, uh, New England's basically unbeatable at home, so 
basically the opposite of NOLA. So let's go with New England. All right. So those are Derek's picks. Those are my picks. But if you want the Toonies picks, you're going to have to find that on our TikTok account at the Rouge Rugby. In fact, you can find us across social media, including Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at the Rouge Rugby. If you like listening to this podcast, you can Apple Podcasts. Or if you like watching podcasts, you can do so on our YouTube channel, again, at the Rouge Rugby. Derek, if the people want to find you, where can they do so? I'm at Brissette the Jet across all social media networks. And you can find me across social media at Hardman, spelled H4RDMAN. Well, Derek, thank you for joining me for another episode of the Rouge Rugby Podcast. And thank you all for joining us. We hope you can join us again next time.